The following pre-recorded program is brought to you by Wrestling with the Inner Man. Welcome to Wrestling with the Inner Man, because the first fight we face each and every day is a fight with our flesh. Do we listen to our selfish, sinful nature or to divine nature guided by the Holy Spirit? Your host, David Savage, is a product of the West Texas desert and energy industry who recently received the biggest promotion of his life, reporting directly to the top boss, God. We hope you're ready to rumble because wrestling with the inner man begins now. Good evening, WWM listeners. Ah, the single life. It isn't always as fun and carefree as it's made out to be, is it? Today, we are talking about my after-college single days in the chapter of my book titled The Bachelor Wilderness. However, in the study guide and the appendix, I refer to this chapter as rejecting passivities. If listening to a few of these chapters and study guide discussions has piqued your interest in my book, you can learn more about it, The Savage Path, A Memoir of Modern Masculinity, by visiting my website at www.thesavagepath.com. The price of both the paperback and the Kindle version are reduced while we promote the book through this series on the show. For just $4.99, you can download the Kindle version, and that's less than a fancy coffee at Starbucks. My guest today is a new younger friend of mine, 34 years age. He is in his own bachelor wilderness right now, and he works here at Salem Communications, developing and marketing their digital content. He also is working in the evenings, developing his stand-up comedy routine, something I also did very briefly back in my younger days. As the prototype of my target audience for the book, I thought he would be a terrific guest on the show. So, Charles Justice, welcome to Wrestling with the Inner Man. Oh, man, thanks for having me. Well, Charles, uh, help our listeners get to know you a little bit better by telling them a little bit about your background and family history. Okay, yeah, my background, family history. Uh, so, I was, I'm a first-generation Texan. Uh, the rest of my family was born in a Cherokee Reservation in Oklahoma, a small village called Chicken Creek. Like it. Chicken uh, Creek. Yeah, Chicken Creek on Lake Ten Killer. People always think I'm making it up whenever, <laughs> you know, they're like, that can't be right. <laughs> but uh, my dad, I always tell people that he uh, he won a local slip and fall contest in Chicken Creek and got a couple extra dollars and was like, I'm going to start my own Indian reservation in Texas, you know. That looks a lot like a trailer park in Pasadena, Texas. <laughs> uh, I like to call that a trailer of tears, you know, but uh <laughs> Nice. Yeah. On the, on the Indian Trail <laughs> but, of Tears. Yeah. From Pasadena on, you know, it was just, uh, I've, I, I have a, a overwhelming, uh, sense of nomadic, uh, tendencies. So from Pasadena, I, uh, moved there to Deer Park. And then whenever I became an adult, I bought a 1995 Chevy G20 van and I built a bed and then I drove that to Miami and I lived in Miami for a couple of years and I got tired of Miami and I drove it off from Miami to Houston to visit my family from Houston to LA where I lived on the beach in Venice beach in my van for a couple of years. And then I got tired of all that and now I'm back here in Houston. Awesome, man. This is a interesting character and, uh, you know, he lived, lived a little bit of life already. Oh, I'm trying. Well, Charles, in our chapter nine, I relate a few stories of my wedding crasher days uh, right after I got out of college. So I, let me let me read an excerpt from the book here. I was literally pinballing my way through this new bachelor wilderness through a series of short girlfriend relationships and rotating roommate situations. Everything seemed to be about getting as much playing time with each spring-loaded launch of the ball bearing. In the game, you use flippers and shove the machine to try to send the ball back up for more action. Eventually, as gravity constantly works against you, 
your ball falls between the flippers and out of action. It is a game. It is entertaining and exciting in the moment, but in the end, all you really did was kill time. Just like in the game itself, there were lots of bells and lights going off as I bounced off all of the bumpers that I possibly could to score points and ended up just killing time. I began attending the First United Methodist Church near the state capitol in Austin and got involved in their singles class. I joined Toastmasters to improve my public speaking skills, which were required almost every weeknight for various boards and city council meeting reviews on the development projects I was working on. I even applied for a White House fellowship in the Reagan administration, but was not selected. And lastly, I became very involved in the Austin JCs, a co-ed junior chamber of commerce organization. I met another nice young lady from South Africa who was a fellow A&M graduate and was working at Vincent & Elkins, a legal firm we did a lot of work with. Her name was Karn, and things seemed to be progressing nicely. Unfortunately, she was pretty fresh out of a divorce and got spooked before I did, so she cut off the relationship. Through all of these fits and starts in romantic relationships, I never was truly intentional about where I wanted any relationship to go. This nonchalant approach leads to passivity. You float like a cork in a stream and allow the current to take you where it will. I had still received exactly zero advice from my dad on courtship and marriage, and my brother was no longer a good source after the infidelity that led to his divorce. So that's just an excerpt. And, uh, you know, that was kind of my bachelor wilderness. And, you know, Charles, as you were uh, reading the book, what was kind of going through your mind as you you read that chapter? Well, I loved all the pinball analogies because that's actually one of my favorite things to do. There's actually a place here in Houston called Cidercade, um, which they sell hard ciders, and it's just a giant arcade. Really? Yeah, and it's uh, $10 all you can play. And so uh, during COVID, like, you could rent the whole arcade, and I would just do that because I I was working still, and a lot of people weren't, so I would just rent out a whole arcade, and me and my girlfriend would just go play pinball for hours. (laughs) That's cool. So I do like that, but also, like, on the thing of passivity, you know, I think that's, like, a real – important that's something that i'm learning right now is like how to be like more assertive uh, because my whole life i've uh, kind of been like a piece of paper floating in wind and i just kind of go with the flow and and i and i i think i do that as a defense mechanism because i don't want you know to be disappointed or whatever so i'm just like whatever go, go along to get along yeah. yeah but now as an adult like as i like <clears throat> I'm not, I wouldn't even say I'm an adult now, you know, but as I get older, I find out that like, there are a lot of things that I miss out on because I wasn't assertive and like, uh, projecting how I feel or how, you know, I think it should be done or, you know, something like that. And I, I look back at my time, you know, before this, and then I'm like, oh man, this could be so different if I would have just made a decision, you know, <laughs> or if I right. just right. acted on what I thought was right. Instead of just being like, yeah, I'll stay in this van <laughs> for longer, you know, <laughs> and it's just like because uh, it was easy. Until the circumstances kind of force you to do something else. Yeah, like exactly. winter, you know. <laughs> yeah, oh, winter. Yeah, winter. Winter's a scary thing in a yeah. van. That's why I picked, if you notice the cities, the, the winters are not very harsh. Right, right, right. And I'm from LA, Houston yeah. where it's 100 and 100, you know, 100 degrees right. and 100 degree humidity. And L.A., they were like, it was like 86, and they are like, it's a real roaster out here. And I'm just laughing, you know, putting on a jacket. Yeah. So. Well, um, in the study guide, in the back of the book, I reference scripture, you know, to frame a small group discussion for each chapter. And for chapter 9, it is Mark 1, verses 12 and 13. 
It says, Immediately, the Holy Spirit compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness. He was there for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was out among the wild animals, and angels took care of him. So, Charles, what has your wilderness looked like, and have you ever had any angels caring for you? What does my wilderness look like? My wilderness looks a lot like Pasadena, Texas. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I feel like I was, like, born in the wilderness, and I don't think I ever left the wilderness. You know, like, I think uh, as I go, a lot of people think of the wilderness as, like, a scary place because it's a lot of unknown, but they're, like— if you spend some time in there, you find ways to like heal yourself. You find ways to like mentally, physically, you even find weird communities that will accept you for like any other thing that, you know, could possibly happen. So a lot of times people get into the wilderness and they're like, Oh, I got to get out of here. And I'm like, man, this feels good. You know, <laughs> like yeah, and solitude. It's good. Yeah. Solitude's to, to good. Think even, and... even like physically, not even like emotionally or spiritually, like my favorite place is the desert. You know, like I, I love too. driving down highway 90 towards big bend and just going, I could disappear, you know? And, uh, but I think that in like my life, I think that I maybe have been destined to just wander the wilderness and I'm okay with that. But like, uh, that Bible said that, uh, angels were helping Jesus while he was being tempted. I think there are a lot of angels throughout your life and maybe you don't notice them when they're there helping you. But when you get older, you notice like for me, one of my biggest, I would quote unquote say angels was like my first youth pastor, David Gallo. Um, you know, when I had moved to the church that he was at, um, I had I was 11 years old and I had just been estranged from my family, you know? So at 11, I was kind of semi-homeless and my grandma found out and was like, no, you're going to move in with me here in Deer Park. And I went to a Deer Park Church of Christ. So coming from a charismatic church to a Church of Christ church was a huge culture shock for me, you know, because like uh, the Church of Christ doesn't have musical instruments, let alone speak in tongues, you know? And, and so, like, I was, I was very bored in church afterwards. Not enough theatrics in Church of Christ to keep me interested. Mm -hmm. But my youth pastor, David, um, he would do everything, you know? Like, he was, like, I was, like, a little kid out there with no dad, no family, trying to, trying to just figure it out, being obnoxious, because I found out that if you make people laugh, they give you stuff, you know? <laughs> and, uh... And so he would take me to do just like mundane stuff like, oh, we got to go to the hardware store, you know, and he would pick me up. And I think like when I was a kid, I was like, oh, this is weird that this guy wants to hang out with me so much. But as an adult, I'm like, oh, he was investing in me. He was making sure that I wasn't getting into trouble, you know, doing this. He was building me up into the person that I am today. And like, you know, I always like prayed for like a father figure or somebody that could help guide me and stuff. And I didn't even realize it because he was just some 25 year old kid at the time. Right. And uh, and so I think that really like keeping your eyes open on the people that have your back and the people that are pushing you towards what you want you know, or what you think God wants out of you. Uh, I think those are angels in disguise. And whether there's somebody that you see every day or it's just a random person that you meet on a desert, you know, highway, mm -hmm. uh, I think that they're sent there by God and therefore they're angels. Yeah, I, I think uh, we all have angels uh, and we're unaware that we were helped. And sometimes, you know, people uh, are helped like on the side of the road and then no one else saw the car. You know, there's kind of these unexplained <laughs> things. There's a guidepost has a book about 
angel stories like that. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's it's actually that's a very funny uh, reference that I, me, and three of my friends from high school, uh, we all here in Houston, and we wanted to see the sunrise uh, over the top of Enchanted Rock, uh, and I had never done that before. So we drove to Enchanted Rock from like College Station. My buddy lived in Bryan, probably like two o'clock in the morning. And we're going through these back desert roads and uh i see this girl walking through the street and i go hey hypothetically if you guys saw like a woman just out here in the middle of nowhere like what would y'all do and they were like well we would stop and help and i was like dang it you know? <laughs> <laughs> so i like slam on brakes and this uh woman walks up and it's just like me and then like all three of my friends played uh basketball for u of h so like I'm the shortest person by far. And sure, we're all yeah. crammed into my uh, Toyota Camry. <laughs> and she was like, ooh, a car full of guys. Yay, me. And I was like, <laughs> you know, like, And um, we were probably like five minutes down the road before my friends started trying to, like, witness to her. You know, like, they were yeah. like, if you were to die today, you know, like, just straight oh, wow. altar yeah. call in yeah. the backseat of the Camry. And, uh, and then that lady just goes, uh well, I don't really believe in Jesus very much, but ha- have you guys ever read Dianetics? And I was like, are you a Scientologist? Get out of my car. You know? So I don't pick up people in the desert anymore. Yeah, man. that's pretty crazy <laughs> story. Might be weird. Yeah. Well, uh, so, you know, we're talking about passivity, you know, so, so have you had difficulty confronting problems, you know, in your life? And, uh, and it, you know, what informs this response to problems. Oh, absolutely. I don't know what informs that response, but that is the only response is passivity. Uh, and I, and I guess that comes from me just feeling like, you know, if I, if I give it my energy or whatever, and it doesn't come out right, I'll be disappointed. So it's like me protecting my own ego. Um, but I, I do my biggest, the only way I put it, like I take on problems is by putting them off. You know? And yeah. then I go, if I could put this off until a procrastinator. I don't have to do, yeah, yeah, I'm a procrastinator. Or evasion. Yeah. And there's a weird thing about procrastination. Sometimes if you procrastinate so long that whatever you needed to be done doesn't need to be done anymore and you and you feel like you won. You know, you're like, yeah, I did it. That, <laughs> that's know? like going on vacation, all those emails, and then, you know, they're, they're real urgent, you know, for Monday, but you're like, a week after that yeah you know they, it resolved itself that's and, the worst thing that could happen to somebody that actually likes to procrastinate though is for it to be successful reinforced yeah, yeah, yeah positively exactly. reinforced um but yeah no passivity is kind of a weird i wish i wasn't you know because in my brain i'm not but then in my actions i am yeah well i have uh you know two stepsons and they they didn't have a real good uh role model, you know, uh, for their biological father. And, 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 and they, ha- they struggle with this as well. And I think it's just a, a uh, maybe a frailty uh, of confidence that, that you don't have because you don't have that older man kind of pouring that value into you that's kind of like the, the ballast in your boat. So they get tipped over, you know, by a small wave because they just don't have that, that ballast there. Is, is that, you know, something you can relate to? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's definitely like that. Like, uh, we're both like pretty big hikers right. uh and i hiked uh my my parents were like you know we got to get you out of the city we got to get you some fresh air so instead of going to church camp they would send me to this place called wilderness Expe- Expe- expedition and it was out of salida colorado and it was a faith-based like wilderness uh thing and the first mountain that i ever hiked was mount elbert which is the highest 
<clears throat> mountain in Colorado. And Pikes Peak is technically taller, but it is starts at a higher elevation. And I'd never been like Deer Park sea level is uh six and a half under, feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's six like and a half under hundred. I lived I lived yeah. in the highest street in Deer Park and it was eight feet. <laughs> uh and so I never been to five thousand feet, let alone fifteen thousand feet. And uh and then they, they give the trails cool names like Black Cloud. You know, right. like that's a cool name. And then, uh, so I did the Black Cloud Trail of Mount Elbert. But what they don't tell you about Mount Elbert is that Mount Elbert is a place, like, it's the mountain of false peaks. So you'll be walking for, like, seven hours, and you can go, oh, I can finally see the peak. And then you walk up that peak, and then, boom, right behind it is another peak. <laughs> yes, I know. And there's I know about exactly 10 of feeling. There's about ten of those. And if you're doing that with no guide, like, if I was doing that by myself, I would have got to that first peak and be like, Dude, summited it. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, nailed it. Uh, yeah, and then, but like, if you don't have a guide and you don't even know what you're looking for, then like you miss out on so much. You know, like if I would have just got to that first peak and just you know to be on my own, uh, I would have been you know 100 percent happy. But that was only twelve thousand feet. I still had right. two and a half thousand feet to climb, and I would have never seen you know the views that I saw at 14,832 feet or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that a lot of times when we're like people with no parental guidance or anything like that, that we're people that get, um, we're happy with like the bare minimum. You know, like we, uh, the the slightest. Low expectations. Yeah, yeah, very low expectations. And and that's a protection mechanism. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that like what you're saying is like, you know, when you don't have like a good father figure to like really like guide you down the river, then you're just really, you give up a lot of things that you didn't know that you would have benefited you or that you would have loved or that you would have seen because you just didn't have that guidance and you have low expectations you're probably a passive person, so you're just like, yeah, this is fine. You know, and I'll just sit here and cry on this rock. You know, yeah, like, that's uh, uh, that's actually a great metaphor. You know, the, uh, the like the false peak and the accepting good. When, you know, when great is what you were actually yeah. would, would aspire to, or you would like to aspire to in, in any area of life. So, you know, are you passive when it comes to resisting temptation? Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. I don't do anything that I don't like. <laughs> you know, like uh, so if. I I have this, like, weird thing in my brain where, like, I can, like, logically make anything make sense to myself. Rationalize. Yeah, yeah, yeah we yeah. can rationalize. I anything. can rationalize anything to myself. And with temptation, I think, you know, like, the biggest thing is just I don't really have, like, an impulse control, you know? Like, mm-hmm. uh, if I want something, I'm going to buy it right now mm-hmm. or I'm going to eat it right now or, you know, something like that. And I think that has a lot to do with not being taught discipline or seeing a lot of discipline uh, growing up. And obviously, it's on me now as an adult to like, right. start doing that. But I, it's been that way my whole life. And then here's like the real passivity is I go, I know I should change, but it's gotten me this far. And I, I kind of like who I am, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so I'll wait until like, there's some, some sharp stick that pokes you, you know? Yeah, in yeah. New I only change out of pain you know well actually tell that story you told me at lunch yesterday about you know your weightlifting and how impulsive oh, yeah. that decision was oh yeah. yeah yeah straight up uh so i used to be uh, an olympic style weightlifter i used to be shredded not this what you're looking at right now <laughs> a lot of baggy it's okay clothes we're on, on the radio now. yeah <laughs> uh 
but I, I I was I competed in the state championships every year, and I was always like top ten uh, in the state of Texas. And I when I moved to Miami, I was training uh, with the Brazilian super heavy from the Olympics, this guy uh, Fernando Reese, and uh, two of my good friends Hayden and Steffi opened like a fitness complex there, and so. I did the marketing for them and in exchange, all I did was train. They paid for my food and stuff like that. I trained with a team. I got super strong. I mean, I was squatting like 600 pounds, deadlifting 600 pounds, Dang. clean and jerking 350, snatching 300. And like, I, I it was like real serious about it. And I just remember one day, uh, right after a heavy training, it was like me, Fernando, this guy, this guy goes to the Olympics, you know, like mm -hmm. he trains for four years ahead of his time. And I trained to just so I can eat cheeseburgers. <laughs> and then it's like me, Fernando and Hayden and our buddy Marcus are all in a, uh, in a sauna together. And I had just, uh, we had just weightlifted for like three hours and I just looked at him. I go, hey, you guys ever realize that our whole life is built around suffering? You know, <laughs> it was like we wake up at the butt crack of dawn and then we lift heavy crap all day long. And then we eat things that we hate. And then they go, hey, go sit in this hot box for 30 minutes because it's going to make you feel better. And they're like, yeah, I never really thought of it like that. I was like, yeah, me either. And then I just quit weightlifting right after that because it wasn't fun anymore. Like I said, I only do things I like. So if... uh at that moment, I fell out of love with like that, you know, mm -hmm. portion of my life. And I, I think about it all the time. I still can't bring myself to go back. I play well, pickleball now instead. <laughs> so has there been uh, a decision that you regret, regret when you, when you went along with someone like lots of times boys get in trouble because some mischievous Eddie Haskell type person says, Hey, let's go do something. Uh, have you ever been in a situation like that where then you regretted it? Oh, yes. I mean, we don't have enough time in the yeah, world yeah. To, <laughs> for me to tell all those stories. But, yeah, absolutely. Usually I regret things uh, where I feel like I missed out on something that might have been better. Uh, or, you know, I, I, I regret things where I feel like I handled it in, like, poor taste. Yeah. Like, uh, the girlfriend that I was dating right now, like, I was talking to her, right? And uh, and she wasn't giving me the time of day, really. So I started dating this other girl. Uh, and girlfriend, current girlfriend, found out about that while, and uh, and then she all of a sudden started giving me the time of day and stuff like that. So I just broke up with the other girl to go back, you yeah. know, to the girl. And it worked out. I mean, eight years later, yeah. we're still here. But, like, a lot of times I think about what I did to that girl, you know, and I go, Oh, that was kind of crappy. You know? <laughs> well, just... you know, I just, I, I really enjoyed having you on. It's kind of the 25 minutes goes by really quick. Uh, yeah. any, any final thoughts or suggestions for men, you know, because I think you really do. You're, you're much, you're very transparent and honest about, you know, what you struggled with and where you're at. And I think there's a lot of people out there that yeah. can really benefit from you sharing like that, because guess what? You're not alone. Yeah, absolutely. I've been reading books a lot, uh, since I was a wee lad about, growing up without a father figure and stuff. There's a lot of great authors that hit it on the head. I I really liked your book, The Savage Path, um, because I feel like a lot of the things that you talk about, like uh, I know, you know, like mm -hmm. the types of trucks that you have and mm -hmm. the games that you play and doing all that kind of stuff. So it was really great to read The Savage Path for me. One, because like you give out like easily actionable items to help you know, work yourself and you're not doing the same thing that everybody else does on the online. Like, Oh, right. If you want to be happy, make your bed, you know? Yeah. It's like, no, yeah, no, you know, it's like you, idea. you give like good 
actionable tips and the book itself kind of reads as if like your uncle or your dad is telling you stories uh over like a campfire which yeah. i love yeah you know well, super well uh in closing i'd like to thank our sponsor prism specialties you know they're in the restoration business uh if you have uh, lightning strikes you know we had a little storm come through here that was happening in north texas but uh you lose some electronics you know they can they can take care of it they can fix fabrics artwork and and even documents and uh, once again visit the website at www.thesavagepath.com to learn more and uh, god bless you charles thanks for coming on the show thanks for having me am 1070 the answer wrestling with the inner man thanks for listening to wrestling with the inner man with david savage for more information, reach out to David at Wrestling with the Inner Man at gmail.com. That's Wrestling with the Inner Man at gmail.com. Tune in next time as Wrestling with the Inner Man tackles more tough topics to train up a generation of better men.